Welcome and thanks for listening to the Spirit of Time podcast. It's a spirited discussion of watch topics and some of the cool bon vivant stuff that overlaps our hobby, especially fine spirits, craft beer, cocktails, and wine. In other words, if it's boozy, smoky, sudsy, or smooth, we'll probably talk about it. Think of it as a watch-focused happy hour for your commute. We are your hosts. I am Matt. I'm Greg. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. How are you? Hi, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm having a really good day, man. This is, uh, yeah, I decent day at work. The day is done now, winding down. Got some stuff, you know, happening after um, later in the evening when we're done recording. But overall, good. How about you? Things are good. It's um, we're in the, I guess what they call the May Gray. So for those folks maybe outside, you know, we're in Southern California. We get the May Gray and. June gloom. So the last uh, week and a half or so has been gray and a little bit cool in the mornings. But uh, today it, it burned off and by about lunch or shortly after it was beautiful and the sun is shining. It's a Friday. We've got uh, poor checks on, 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 on the way and wrist checks and I'm with you. So things are good. We're really uh, uh, looking up here. Yeah, 100%, dude. Well, hey, let's go ahead and just get started. How about that wrist check? What have you got? You know, I've got, uh, we, you and I had a chance to, to meet up a little earlier this week. And right now I've got on the, uh, Tudor Black Bay 58 and it is glorious. Oh my, it's, uh, I, I think I mentioned in a previous episode, I have a, a, a dear friend who's, um, really considering one. And so I let him know that I had it on and he had a million questions for me. He hasn't had a, a chance to visit and put one on wrist yet. And uh, this is amazing. I mean, I've seen them, you know, uh, kind of from afar. I don't think I've ever spent any any uh, serious time with it. And it is just, it's butter on the wrist. I've, I threw, I've, I've, I've had a trouble taking it off. In fact, I don't think I have. So kudos yeah, to there, you. It was a great, great watch. There's a really weird kind of irrational alchemy that they have there with that watch. It's, it, they've just distilled it perfectly. It's like the, a perfect old fashioned or something. You don't need anything else. I mean, we'll, we'll take other stuff, of course, but yeah, it's a phenomenal watch and you've, you hit it right on the head. I think it's just how it sits on the wrist. That's part of the magic. I think we'll do, you know, some more in-depth thoughts about it, but, um, and I love your old fashioned comment because I think that's going to lead into, uh, some other things we'll talk about today. What do you have on the wrist? Curious what you have. All right. So in exchange, um, you took my tutor. I took your awesome Oris, and this is the uh, the big crown pointer date bronze with the green dial. So I I absolutely love this watch. I mean, I knew I would. You know, I I kind of talked you into this. I was enabling you so <laughs> you that <did. laughs> I'd be like, oh, maybe one day I'll get to try this. And yeah, so I live vicariously, and now it's actually on the wrist. And it's I've left it on the um, that custom Drew strap, which is great. I think it matches perfectly. You know, for the uh, the folks who've ever tuned in to Greg's feed, they've probably seen this watch, and it's just got that really nice aged military canvas. It matches the dial really well. And the more I'm looking at it, I'm like, you know, you could go this way with it, or you could break off and have the exact same strap, but, you know, maybe in a gray or a, um, you know, maybe like a faded black, you know, that's kind of taken on some distressing. Uh, di- what's the word I'm looking for? It's distressed. Yeah. You know, yeah. like faded, faded black jeans or something like that, just to offset the dial. 
but in this case it it really works because the bronze i think is what interrupts the uh like the color flow from the strap to the dial the the case on this is really really good i like the way it sits on the wrist again kind of similar to the tutor right it just sort of disappears when it's on you know you just you you don't feel it when you don't want to but when you look at it it's like ah, so cool um and yeah, you know, I, the pointer date's a really cool, elegant solution. I did not think I would like the bronze this much. Uh, you know, I I kind of thought the bronze is, you know, a little gimmicky and I've never had one and never really had an opportunity to play with one outside of, um, you know, an AD where they're, they're all still, you know, kind of in perfect condition. And this is, you know, taking on a little bit of that, uh, you know, that changing color as this thing patinates. Is that the word? I guess patinates. I don't know. You know, we've, it hasn't gone so far. We've been using it on this podcast, so we're going with it. Right. Yeah, that's that's the the nerd specific term. Um, and yeah, you know, it hasn't gone so far as to get any of that very degree, but it it's really really cool. I like it. Thanks for letting me uh, take it for a test drive. Yeah, of course. Likewise, I, I'm glad you're enjoying it. You you nailed it. I think I've been playing around with the idea of that distress strap for the next look on it. I'm so I'm so happy with the Drew strap on there, and it's gotten so many. Um, compliments uh, when it gets when it gets posted, but uh, I think somebody's got um, like a combat strap, or I think it might be combat strap, but distressed on uh, on the Tudor Black Bay bronze, and it looks so glorious. And so I think that would also be a great look on there. You made a funny comment earlier, and I was kind of laughing, waiting to to share this with you. I almost feel like you know when 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 you buy a watch for your partner. And you think to yourself, I think I'm going to get to enjoy this. That's good. It made me think of that when you said when you were, I was enabling you, Greg, to, to think about getting that Oris and secretly wondering if I might get it on my wrist. It's like when you buy your partner that watch, you know, for a present or something, you're thinking to yourself, I think I might enjoy this too. <laughs> yeah, honey, check out this, this really awesome vintage steel date just I got for you. <laughs> That's right. If you don't That's want right. it, I know somebody who does. So I promise it'll get use. I promise it'll get use. Right. Um, you know, what's, uh, I'm curious what's in your, in your glass. Let's do a pour check while we're at it. Oh man. Don't hate me, Greg. Oh, so no. I just, I know I alluded to the fact that right after we're recording later tonight, um, I have a commitment and I need to get the kids in the car. So I am, uh, I am basically I'm drinking a, a not even a leaded, but a, a diet ginger ale. How about you? Tell me you have something good. <laughs> I do have something good, and uh, but I do want to applaud you because I think this is also a quick reminder of everybody to everybody and with ourselves. It's all good. It doesn't, you know, we love to talk about the beverages and we'll do it often, but it's, uh, you know, there's other things going on, and 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 it's good to to kind of also not have to be dependent on having one here. So, um, I have something pretty cool. Uh, right when we're done, it's one of our our dear friends' uh, birthdays today. We're recording on a Friday. Uh, I think we'll get this out shortly. Oh and yes, it's uh, Chase Chase Horology four one one, a dear friend uh, to uh, to us here on the pod and to a lot of folks uh, around his birthday today. And so a few of us had a neat idea to mix him up uh, a special cocktail, sort of in his honor. And so I whipped this one up, and I'm going to post it here shortly. Uh, essentially, it's a a riff on an old fashioned. That's what I was saying earlier. I was glad you kind of alluded to that. It's kind of a maple old fashioned. And my sister sent me a really neat thing for for Christmas and it just arrived because it was on back order like everything else in the world, uh, a cocktail smoker. And yes. so I had a blowtorch with a, a smoker situation going on. So it's basically a smoked maple old fashioned, but I made it with tequila instead. And it is pretty cool. 
Oh yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing that actually. Oh, that looks good. That looks really <laughs> good. You get the, the big sphere of ice in there. We're gonna yeah, make it for, together. I think we're gonna make it together at some point. Yeah, for the listeners, I Greg just held that up to the screen. I'm like, pass it through. Let me try that. <laughs> All right. Well, so anyway. what's going on in, in the world? You know, I I, I know uh, I mentioned to you the other day that I I did get a chance to finally see um, uh, Radium Girls on yes. uh, I think it's on Netflix right now. Uh, sort of watch tangent tangential. No, a number of people have talked about it before. Really great watch. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, I would not say it's watch focused at all, but, um, obviously, you know, a big part of, uh, that subject matter is tied to wristwatches. And so, um, a really cool watch. I, I suggest have, uh, checking it out if you haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it. I have heard a number of people talking about it. And yeah, as you can imagine, it's certainly, it sounds like it's, you know, kind of watch adjacent if you're into that stuff. So one of these days I will have to pick that up. And speaking of sort of entertainment and cultural stuff, um, the last time we saw each other, not the last time, but the time before, I brought over that signed copy of Death Charge from Jason Heaton. Did you manage to get through it? I did. You weren't kidding. It's a it's a page turner, you know, not in so much of the way as um, it's easy to read in a great way. It's not simple by any stretch. It's just, you know, you can, you can kind of charge through it. You don't have to go back through and, and reread and try and figure out what's going on or too many twists and turns, but, um, it keeps you in. And, uh, so I think I mentioned you gave it to me I, and on a weekend I cracked it open. I got pulled away the next sitting. I got, you know, a pretty good amount of the way through. And then I, I charged through after that another two sittings, probably awesome. Great read. Uh, kudos. I think to Jason, that was a awesome, you know, uh, foray into something. It sounds like he's been working on for quite a long time and had kind of dreams and designs on. And thank you for, for kind of encouraging me and, and kind of enabling me to check it out. I think you and, and Jason might be turning me into a sort of a dive slash watch, uh, enthusiast here. Uh, it's something I, I didn't expect. Well, yeah, there's a reason I, I brought two dive watches for you to take for a test drive. So, well, hey, speaking of Depth Charge, the novel, I so last episode, you'd mentioned that you won that cool head-to-head copycat contest, right? You got, I mean, you got a gold watch, whatever. I, I won something even cooler. What is it? Tell me. So I, I in the form of my uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek horological alter ego, Deloitte Van Dyke, have actually won a brand new job. Yeah, you have a new career. You can see here I've got the shirt. I am I'm an officially a uh, a henchman for Jason Heaton's like bad guy in Depth Charge. So I the backstory on that and this is kind of funny. He he you know put out a contest um you know I think uh, he had a couple of these swag shirts made and maybe eventually he'll make them for kind of general sale or distribution, but you know it's got the logo of the ship here. I'll turn around. You know, once you have a uniform, you are a hundred percent certified. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, Deloitte is on fire. He's a real bad guy now, and he's legit. So um, yeah, gonna get up to some no good on dive support vessel depth charge. But yeah, he put out this contest and just had a number of people kind of throw out different creative um, things, basically, to, you know, different posts or whatever. And I sent him an, an audio file email. <laughs> it was really good. So maybe I'll, I'll append that or something. But uh, yeah, so I was one of, I think, three people that got picked to be official henchmen. And I'm I'm hoping, J- Jason, heads up, that you are going to include Delight Van Dyke in the next book. There's going to have to be a sequel and Delight Van Dyke is going to have to be maybe the easily dispatched 
uh, henchman. Anyhow, not to not to put extra pressure on him, but I think you put in your two weeks today, and so you're kind of sort of this is kind of your next ticket, right? Oh yeah, totally. I you know <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to um, vesting in the 401k program you know, for uh, bad guy incorporated. And from there on, yeah, I'm, I'm all about it. What's the PTO situation over there? Do you know? Oh, you know, I think it's just take what you need. <laughs> it definitely is take what you need and more. It's yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, so anyhow, that's, that's kind of the deal with depth charge and, and sort of the, the fun development as far as Deloitte Van Dyke. But I think today we're going to get kind of into the main topic. If you're ready. I'm ready. Always ready. Cool. Well, the main topic is the same as the main topic last week. I mean, geez, there's more Seiko content. Spoiler alert. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in a good way, I I kind of flash back to our first launch episode with Mike Heyman and one of the questions he asked, well, or the discussion that we had was around how it seems like in 2020 and 2021, the landscape of watch news and watch rollouts has changed. And it's just, you know, the schedule is completely up in the air. And everything is kind of, you know, a spaghetti on the wall style. And that I think is actually working out good for us because if anything, it's just stuff just keeps coming. Yeah. We don't have to wait. We don't have to wait for the huge trade shows, uh, you know, every, so, you know, every, at some point during the year, uh, gives us a lot to talk about. It gives us a lot to think about, gives us a chance to maybe get out to, you know, your favorite ADs and, and maybe see him in person. It's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm digging it uh, for the time being. Yeah, and I'm hoping actually to be able to get over to uh, one of the local ADs here, uh, to Feldmar, spoiler alert, and see if they have these. In particular, the first watch that we're going to just kind of talk about briefly, and that's the new Seiko Presage Style 60s. Have you seen this? I have. I'm digging it. I like this a lot, Uh, particularly the white dial is jumping out to me immediately. But um, yeah, these are really nice. These are, uh, I think, to me... It hits that really neat niche that I think Seiko does a wonderful job at, which is sort of sporty dressy. Uh, in my opinion, there's, um, you know, it's not a dress watch per se, uh, but it certainly has some elegance to it. It certainly could pass, you know, as an everyday watch or, you know, with whatever you might wear to work. Uh, and at the same time, it's it's sporty. It's, it's, it is a sport watch probably technically. I mean, I'm curious what you would call it yourself, but uh, they know how to do that. They do it well. And this, this is a great example of that. You know what? I think you're exactly right. I, um, I'd really, I'm curious to see how they feel. Cause this thing is, they're calling it 40 point something. I think it's 40.8. So, I mean, that's 41 millimeter adjacent. And just depending on the overall architecture, that can be a real good sweet spot, or it might be a little large, you know, for something like this, but overall, I agree with you. This is supposed to have, I think 200 meters water resistance, um, if I'm not mistaken. And I think it looks awesome. It, to me, it's, the aesthetics are not the same, but I think it's in the same sort of wearing, you know, uh, basket as something like your um, Omega Railmaster or like an Aquaterra. You know, it's um, it has what appears to be, you know, just a uh, kind of a very simple bezel. You know, it's just, uh, you know, 10, 20, like 30, 40. Yeah. And nice and thin. It the looks really it cool. Fantastic, too. Yeah, I, I yeah, exactly. So the overall architecture of this thing, the date window looks good. I love their font on their date wheels. And when they've do a good job with it, like it appears that they've done with this, that comes across really well. I think this is gonna land for me the way that I had always wished the Alpinist did. You know, I've 
I always wanted to like the Alpinist and I just never could wrap my head around the green one. The, um, you know, the, the one from the past, say, you know, 10, 15 years that, you know, it's just very shiny. It's very, very cool, but shiny. And, you know, we, we live in a very sunny environment. I work outside a lot and it's just, I don't like it. So when the, the blue limited came out about two years ago, um, you know, they, those flew off the shelves at, at Hodinkee and a number of, certainly not a lot, but a number of authorized dealers got small allocations and I was able to get on the list for it. I got that watch based on, you know, sight unseen, uh, based on the renders and the photographs that we'd seen. And it looked like it had a matte dial and I was stoked. And when I got it, I was not stoked. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, look, it's shiny. So a great, great watch. It's just not for me. And I think these would be, because they don't look like they're going to be, you know, the, the real bright in your face. And you mentioned you like the white. I think the the green one is the one that I would want to look at. I think green's here to stay, Matt. I think, you know, listen, there's a lot of people that think green is a fad, and maybe it is. Um, blue, I think at some point was maybe newish, you know, to, you know, being really accessible in, in watches. And I think that's obviously sticking around. I think green's here to stay. It's not, it's not this, you know, anyway, my point is I I don't think green is a fad and the fact that it stands out to you, I think just continues to affirm that to me. Yeah. And I think certain brands have, uh, you know, a, um, like a legitimate sort of connection for lack of a better way to put it with certain colors, you know, Rolex green, that makes sense. And that's, you know, that's not a, something that's going to go away. And the same thing, you know, uh, with Seiko. So Seiko has a similar tie-in to the use of green. It's been on a, a lot of watches across a number of different ranges, not just at the highest levels with Grand Seiko and whatnot. And yeah, they do it very well. And I don't know, the one thing I wish I had in my collection, I had a chance and didn't grab one was their, uh, you know, I have that SLA 021. Well, they made that in green as well as a limited edition. And that was hot. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, just didn't jump fast enough. But um, yeah, I like it. I dig it a lot. You know, you made a reference to the case shape and dimensions of, you know, sort of an Aquaterra and the Realmaster. I also, the bezel, which I already said I like, the, it, it reminds me a little bit of the kind of Seamaster 300. Um, it's kind of that, uh, like a similar font, you know, kind of this, I, I like it a lot. Uh, I don't love the open heart. Maybe that's just a personal preference. I know some people probably do, but it just doesn't really do much for me. Um, and uh, actually the movement, the case back in the back, the exhibition, um, looks really nice. Um, uh, you know, Seiko is not exactly known for, you know, um, you know, super intricate, uh, you know, movement, um, finishing, but, um, in this case, I think they did a nice job with it and I'm glad they, they left it open. Yeah. I think there's a place for these watches that have either exhibition case back and, or these open heart dials. Again, I think the more you're sort of into watches, if they're not complicated pieces or not, you know, art pieces or from a, you know, a Haute brand. Eh, who cares? But where I do see them being kind of cool and valuable is for people who are not into watches yeah. and decide like, hey, what what's going on under this dial? Like, this isn't just a, a little piece of circuitry. What's what's happening here? And that's always kind of amazing. I like, you know, frankly, entry level watches, if it, they're mechanical and they have that, you know, a, a display case back, that's what sucks a lot of people into this hobby. Hell yeah. And, and it grows their appreciation. So I'm down. That's a good thing. You know, this is a this is a topic I think I want to mark down for later because I think we'll, we're going to need more time for it. But the bringing people into anything, 
Um, especially once you really get deep into something, you forget what that's like to bring somebody into something. So for example, like you're mentioning, you know, op open case backs, exhibition case backs, maybe open, you know, open, open dials. Um, I think the same a lot about spirits, wine, you know, beers. Sometimes once we really get into something, we forget what it's like to bring something to bring people in. And so there is a place for that. And it doesn't, you know, even if it might not be our current taste, um, I'd like to talk about that more. That's actually a really, I think that's a great idea for a topic actually. And I know a, a number of people you probably have too, that people who maybe have one or two, you know, watches, maybe even nicer watches, more expensive watches, however you want to, you know, describe that, but they're so close to being watch people. And I'm like trying to pull them in. In <laughs> fact, we're going to come back to, to him at the end of the episode, but I have a, a buddy, Jim. Hi, Jim. And, you know, I, uh, every once in a while he'll ask my opinion about a watch and I'm like, yes, get it, get it. Yes. Get it here. Do, do you want to borrow mine? Get it. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you had me at what? <laughs> A master enabler. You are a master enabler. Yeah, that's it. So the other thing though, just to drive right on, I mean, the other drop from them in the past few days from, from Seiko kind of broadly is uh, the Grand Seiko, this new series of GMT watches, which, um, and these are quartz, like the last round of quartz they did. But to my mind, these things look a little bit more, I don't know, kind of just sort of brutal and angular. And I think very, very cool. These are the, um, now let me just get this right. I want to make sure I've got this because these things are always a mouthful. The SBGN019, 021, and 023. That sounds like it's a design, like a hull designator for a nuclear, like a ballistic missile submarine, doesn't it? Uh, it does. I'm, I'm right back into, into death charge again. I've already, I'm back in there mentally. Yeah. SBGN019, USS Ohio, you know, coming to, <laughs> to hover depth or whatever. Thank you, but, Seiko. Yeah, the watches are awesome. I, I do wish they would have nicknames a little more consistently. Yes. But um, yeah, I I think these are absolutely, you know, just stunning, stunning watches. They're a little more expensive than the last go round, though. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Now, is there a limited edition involved in this? Do you know? Yes. So at, they Grand Seiko often does this. Seiko does too for Core Seiko you know, they'll have three or four in a line and one of those will be reserved maybe with a slightly different colorway, mm -hmm. um, or a, an even, you know, potentially maybe a slightly more accurate movement, even in the quartz line, sometimes they can get, um, I don't know if they're sort of up level or really, really particularly well-matched, um, crystals in the movements so that they're able to eke out even a little more accuracy. I don't know if that's the case here, but, um, yeah, the the LE is the zero two three. Got it. Yep. I and think it's fantastic. I think these are great. Um, I think they look really great. Uh, the dial, of course, you know who doesn't do dials texture better than Grand Seiko? Um, going back to date placement, date window placement. This is a great example of that, in my opinion. If you don't want to put it at you know, three, of course, three o'clock, or I guess six o'clock. Um, they've put it, you know, directly at four, but in a really tasteful way, in my opinion. Um, you know, could have could have done it differently, but I like how they did it, um, you know, in this case. Um, this is a great watch. 
Yeah, the date window, this is going to be, I think, probably the single most polarizing feature because so many people just love to hate that 4.30 date window placement. But like you said, it's it's bang on at four o'clock and they left it, you know, a white date disc, presumably yeah. to kind of visually balance out the the marker that would otherwise be there, you know, to, that's a good point. Deleted. I was, I was going to hate on that for a second. I left it alone, but that's, a, I think you, you probably hit it there. That's probably visually, um, the replacement there. Yeah. If I don't have my, uh, my specs on and I'm looking at this at a distance, you know, at that date window looks like it's probably the, the hour marker for four o'clock. Yeah. I personally like those four thirties and I think, you know, or four o'clock, I guess in this case. Um, but I'm biased. I like, I like when Zinn does it. I like it when Bell and Ross does it. I have that Blanc Pond that's like that. They're, I like them. I'm, uh, I'm case by case. And in this Fair. case, I, gi- I give it a thumbs up. Fair enough. Would you, I, again, I think a lot of people are going to have a hard time wrapping their head around, you know, maybe the mid $4,000 range for a quartz watch. But what do you think of something like this? Like, you know, cost is no, ob- well, maybe I guess cost can't ever be no object in these questions, but you know, would you, is this something that could be on a list for you? I think if money were not a barrier, uh, I, I aesthetically and visually, it looks fantastic. I, I, I do really appreciate it. Um, but if I'm being honest, I'm, I'm, I'm not personally going to spend that on a quartz watch. Yeah, no, that's real talk. I think a lot of people feel the same way, but you personally, know, there's been a lot of talk lately, and sorry, I kind of jumped in. There's been a lot of talk lately, I feel like, on kind of the whole grab and go, um, uh, you know, and really appreciating quartz for that, not having to worry about is it wound, is it on the right date, is the time right. I get that. I appreciate it. Um, it just doesn't land with me all the way. I mean, it doesn't take me that long to wind my watch or set it if it's been sitting for a minute. Um, but I suppose there's some beauty in literally picking up a watch and it having it be you know, within 10 seconds over the course of a year and you don't have to set the time or the date and it's still beautifully finished and, and aesthetically very pleasing. I get that. Just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna make it in my, in my collection probably. Yeah, no, I understand. Um, I think for a lot of us, you know, the picking up a, a watch and, you know, setting it, getting it running is kind of part of the the fascination and part of the fun. I, I agree with you. I think this is something that I would love to have. Um, I don't know that I would buy this one. I actually, you know, I think there was the value proposition for the previous generation was um, a little better, maybe maybe more than a little better. Let's be honest. Um, I don't know though. You know, if these are out for a while, then they might be found. They might start, you know, trading at street prices that are a little bit more reasonable and or you know. Um, on the secondary market as people buy them and, you know, decide, Hey, I'm not, not loving this or whatever. Some of the the colors are a little bright, you know, the yellow, et cetera, the red. I'm really in a creative mood today. Let's mark another topic down for, for an episode, just courts. Uh, what do we think about it? What do we feel about it? Where does it stand in, in the watch, you know, community today? Where does it stand for you personally? Yeah, no, that's a good idea. There you go. Look at this. I, I, you know, I mixed up a special cocktail for Chase, and uh, I'm feeling quite creative today. What do you know? Yeah, that's uh, that's turned on your brain cells. <laughs> Usually, it's supposed to turn them off, but in this case, I feel like it's uh, quite a a a help and aid. It's working for you. Well, the third thing to talk about. This is not particularly new, but I wanted to bring this up just because I really like these watches, and that's um, 
Bremont. Now they've got that uh, the new S three hundred base, so that's the Supermarine three hundred, which is kind of the scaled down kind of uh, little brother, if you will, to the S five hundred, which is their original diver. This is actually the S three zero two, and it's their GMT diver in what's roughly a forty millimeter format, so a little a little thinner, a little more svelte. Um, crown is you know more of a uh, you know a conventional placement and i think this is just a, a really really cool watch it's hot the thing is uh did you happen to catch you know the hodinky article this i did was, i did yeah. and i listened i listened to our friends on their um on their pod as well so were you able to kind of uh dive into the comments on this. Now, again, this is the the piece that was done most recently by James, James Stacy. And oh, go ahead. I, I don't want to cut you off. I, I did. Um, and I think it's going to basically lead into some interesting dialogue that you and I are going to have. Yeah. So in a nutshell, it breaks down like this, um, you know, and sorry, this is going to be a bit of a rant, but uh, I do not understand. It seems like there are certain brands, you know, on various fora or in places like Yodinki, you know, where there is kind of a, a commentariat that's, you know, regulars. There's just this weird, irrational dislike for some brands. And what, you know, maybe I guess, you know, a corollary or conversely, there's a, uh, an irrational fanboyitude for other brands. And boy, I think. Bremont is the brand that the Hodinky readers just love to hate more than anything else. Do you get that impression? I do. I do. Um, I, I wonder, so I toss it back to you. What are, what are the things that lead to that in your opinion? You know, I think probably the two biggest things, I mean, one thing is going to be cost. You know, that's, they always get flack for cost, uh, meaning, you know, MSRP on their pieces. Um, and, you know, some of their, some of their watches are fairly expensive in particular, you know, the watches that I don't know that they would necessarily call them LE if they have a, a particular sort of naming convention, but you know, it's almost like Bremont is two brands, if you will, or even three, really, there's one brand that, that makes a lot of one-off custom squadron watches or, you know, um, unit watches for the military. And there's a completely different sales pipeline for those people. And those watches are really, really cool, super legit. Um, they're not issued pieces, but you know, they're the kind of thing that, you know, I think the, the one that probably most people are familiar with were the U2 squadron watches. Um, and there's others, I mean, a lot of others. Then the other company is the, you know, the company that makes the core models that most people comment on. And the kind of watches that I've had in the past, full disclosure, I don't have any Bremont now, but I've had a couple of them in the past. I like them. And then the third thing is, you know, the um, this line of watches that they'll produce, and they're usually priced um, in a fairly dear way, but there's some kind of um, like a value add hook to these things. And th this is, I think, where a lot of the criticism comes from is that they will just, they they have these things priced fairly expensive. Um, fairly expensive. But the idea is that in a lot of these cases, the proceeds are going to support whatever sort of, you know, charity or foundation or um, some effort 
that they're trying to help. So, you know, they did a code breaker watch and, you know, monies from that sale. This is, you know, Bletchley Park, which is a, you know, a, a big deal in British World War II lore. You know, and if I'm not mistaken, some of those monies went to, you know, support that lo- that place. Um, you know, they did a watch from uh, HMS Victory. They did a number of others, you know, and that was sort of the thing. And I think the idea is, hey, if you're trying to to raise money, you know, to help these historical institutions, these historical bodies, uh, there's you're probably not going to be really effective raising money if you're just giving somebody a, a tiny sliver of your normally priced watch, you know, that sells for maybe 4,000 or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. You, you know, not to continue it is an interesting, you know, we continue to, to reference some of our friends over, you know, James and, and Jason, you know, they did an episode recently within the last three to five episodes and there was some controversy uh, regarding another watch brand separate from Vermont. And um, essentially, you know, the, 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 the beginning introduction of the, of the, that podcast for, for on the gray NATO was, I don't understand sort of the um, unrelenting brand loyalty, maybe that some people have. Uh, and conversely, what I think you're describing is also sort of this, you know, I hate to say, I'm just going to, I can't think of a better word, brand, brand hatred, right? Like I'm just going to automatically hate whatever, you know, XYZ brand releases. In this case, we're talking about Vermont, but, um, you know, James and Jason are kind of going on saying, listen, I love watches within a portfolio, but I don't un, you know, un, uh, to no end support any brand. You know, I'm going to like some things. I'm going to not like some things. Uh, and so in this case, we're kind of talking about the converse, I guess, or the inverse, why people would immediately jump on, you know, an attack, you know, in this, in this case, um, Vermont, um, seems, you know, unwarranted to some degree. Um, I don't particularly feel wed to any brand. I also don't particularly, you know, uh, shun any brand and, um, you know, it brings maybe to light, maybe another conversation too, that we might have about where Vermont fits in, what you consider them, where they, you know, what, what, where they are, uh, in, in the scheme of things, you know, uh, relative to their peers. Do you mean like, uh, you know, who I would associate, associate them with other brands in terms of sort of, you know, value or, or, and I mean, when I say value, not just value dollars and cents, but like brand ethos, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I could, I have my own ideas about that. And I would say just right off the top of my head, Oris, Zinn, Omega. Those are kind of the the brands that I associate with them mainly because of like Zinn, they, they do a lot with material science and metallurgy. You know, there's a, um, the case hardening process that is used in many of these Bremont watches. It's a, and I, I won't use the word proprietary cause I don't know if it, if it is proprietary, but it's, you know, something that, that they do with these cases that brings these surface hardness on these things up to like 2000 Vickers, which is going to make them quite a bit more scratch resistant. And I can attest, I mean, when I had my, my MB2 and I had one of the early ones, I had watch number 187, hmm, that's awesome. serial number like 000187. And I wore that as my daily for a long time. And that went to the range with me. Uh, you know, that worked, um, that worked every day with me. And when that thing left my collection, it looked brand new, including the AR. They used nine layers of, of uh, like a hardened coating on their AR. 
the watch itself, the case, the architecture is very different. There's a, just a lot of interesting sort of value add stuff in there. And I think you see that kind of thing with Oris. You see that kind of thing with Omega where they're always trying to kind of go further with the design and with the presentation and just the stuff that, that they give you. But I would even take it a step further and say, you know, they're trying to be, when I say they, I mean, Bremont, I think it's been no secret that their mission from get-go was to, you know, establish a brand, build a following, and then build an industry back in, in the UK. You know, the watchmaking, you know, when you hear these guys kind of tell their story, watchmaking and clockmaking was such a huge part of uh, UK history. It doesn't really happen there now. And I think they have to price their watches in such a way as to take the shock that's going to come in the future. Cause eventually they're going to have a movement. Right. I mean, and that was, that was almost where I was going to, I mean, you know, what are their aspirations? And I don't, I don't mean to direct that just at, you know, Bramont. I mean, you could ask that of any brand, sure. right? but there's, there's aspirations there. And in some ways as a consumer, you like to see that, right? What are we working toward and how does that justify what we're looking at right now? Yeah. And I think that's my point with what I was saying before is eventually they're going to have a movement. And I think that's going to be something, whether or not it's going to be something that they produce in smaller numbers for these LE watches, or if they're going to be something that they produce serially in large batches for the core watches. But the the bottom line is the the money in terms of like physical plant and resources and, and you know, IP it's, you know, that's significant. It adds up and they're going to have to recoup that in some way. And they, I don't think they wanted to be in a position where they're selling a really cool $2,000 watch. And then the exact same watch five years later, when they put their own movement in, it has to be priced at seven grand. Well, There's going to be what, a lot of question marks if, if something like that were to happen. And they also, frankly, I think they're, they're building a product that they want people to think of as an aspirational kind of luxury item. I wonder, you know, I wonder if we might have, you know, it might extend an invitation to somebody to come talk on the, on it from, from Vermont. And, um, you know, if they might even have, you know, some kind of affinity for any beverage, whether it's coffee, whiskey, tequila, beer, you know, we could have a really fun conversation with them. You know what? We might be a little small, but at some point maybe, yeah, that's something we could do with any, any number of brands, but Vermont would Matt, probably be as good we're a place aspirational, to start. We're aspirational too. There you go. <laughs> Right. Right. So, yeah. But ultimately, I think when just to make a very long story short, um, yeah, I, I don't understand sort of the irrational hatred. Everything about Vermont that I've seen going all the way back to the beginning, because I was an early adopter here when when Nick English was the salesman here in the United States, you know, you'd run into him at the at the AD and at events and stuff like that. And I don't talk about myself too much, but I mean, you know, this I used to work in aviation. I have a an aviation related background that's used to be fairly extensive. When I talk to, to Nick and Giles English, there's nothing fake about their aviation pedigree. And that's the other, I think, criticism that's leveled at them quite a bit. Oh, you know, this is just some made up story, you know, regarding their background. Nah, it's all real. It's all real. I don't think they pulled the wool over my eyes. Um, you know what I'll say about that, Matt? I think uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. And I, and I encourage people to be thoughtful in either confirming somebody's you know origin story or challenging it, really, quite frankly. Part of the problem is, in my opinion, and this goes to other fields and industries too, is especially these days, 
there is such a fabrication and origin stories that it's really hard for the end consumer to know what was a real origin story and what was a very, you know, put together, polished, you know, accurate or inaccurate story. And, and we don't get to know that a lot of times. And so, but I'm glad that you're sort of affirming that now, but I'm glad, you know, at the same time, it's really hard for the end user to say, is that real or is that not? Is this make believe or is this a, a, you know, is this a fairy tale or is this the, the real, the real deal? Yeah, no, I think we all kind of crave authenticity and connection to whatever, especially, you know, a luxury product or some expensive lifestyle thing or something that we associate with ourselves. And among watch collectors, what do you associate with yourself more than your watch? And it goes back, I think, to your point on or to what the point I raised, too, about why people might have this such a brand loyalty. Um, I think they attach themselves to these pieces in, in more than just what's on the wrist or how does it look. A lot of people say, I believe in this brand, or I believe in this origin story, or I believe in what they stand for, or, and and so, yeah, you're right. They, you know, we all do it. I think we all do this to some degree as we attach ourselves, um, beyond just, uh, what, what the, what the actual, you know, product is. Yeah, that's totally. So I think we're, we're kind of on the same page there. So, you know, maybe rant off. I'll, I'll leave that. I like the watch. How about that? It's, it's pretty good. And, uh, you know, there's, they do a great job. I've never really had a chance to, to appreciate them in person. Maybe I need to change that. And, um, you know, I think that would be another goal of mine as well. Yeah, totally. I think bottom line is the, uh, this S 302 GMT might be my re-entry into that brand. So we'll see. Whoa. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Hope, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Well, you wouldn't be the first person, you know, the, whose, whose style and taste I trust it to have said that recently. So, um, that says something. Cool, man. Well, hey, you know, I, again, I say that Bremont has a lot to offer that's kind of unique to them and they're aspirational. And you say we're aspirational and have a lot to offer. And one of the things that we didn't do last time, but we've gotten a lot of really good feedback on that we've done a few times is cocktail matchmaker. You want to do it again? Let's do this. We have to keep this uh, really at the forefront of what we do um, for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's awesome. I think it's fun. I think it's unique to our podcast. And two, it gives a chance for people to interact with us. I think this is going to be one of the first instances where somebody brought, I think, something to us uh, to sort of riff on rather than just you and I. And so we're going to encourage people to bring you know ideas to us. If you have drink ideas, drink questions, pairing questions, shoot them our way because this is what we're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Or, and for that matter, um, you know, food questions, but speaking of food, so I have a friend, uh, a guy named Jim, I won't use his last name, but he goes by at hungry Jim. Okay. So it's just he all sounds hungry. at hungry Jim. Yeah. Oh, and you know, what's funny is he's an <laughs> amazing foodie and a, a really, yeah. really good, like amateur mixologist. And there you get a hint of that in his feed, but I, he definitely could post more stuff. It's incredible. So we he were talking cool. offline. Yeah, we were talking offline and he was like, man, I really want to take a swing at that, that cocktail matchmaker. You know, will you ever let me do that? I was like, dude, let's do this right now. (laughs) So I told him what I was going to try to make this weekend, weather permitting, and it looks like it will. And what I'm going to do is um, smoke pork belly. Mm. So just, you know, whole pork belly, smoke that out. And then um, I'm going to break it down, kind of cube it into dice and then probably put like a hard sear for some additional color and marking on it. And then how I'm going to serve that is going to be as the, like the base protein for uh bun me. So mm. if you, if you like the, yeah, the Vietnamese sandwich, right? Yes. 
So if you can kind of picture this, right, this is the um, sort of the, the Vietnamese version of like a sub sandwich. And this is going to have, it's a little bit different in terms of like the greens and the accoutrement on this sandwich. Typically, it's going to be like a julienne um, pickled carrots, right? Uh, some a, a pretty good helping of cilantro. Yes. Yep. Sometimes really thin shaved onions, but usually not. I, I kind of like it with, but usually not. Bias cut thin sliced jalapeno. Mm. And uh, maybe, you know, depending on who's making it, you might get some like uh, shredded daikon on it. And then, you know, the meat goes on there. And then there's a, a variety of different little sauces and schmears and stuff, right? So you, you got that in your head? I got it. I'm picturing it. I'm drooling. Keep going. Okay. So the thing with these kind of sandwiches, I mean, A, it's, they're fairly heavy, right? Cause they're served on a baguette. There's a lot of like French baking influence in Vietnamese cuisine. And this is sort of their, their street food. So it's, you know, b- fairly big. Um, the meat itself is going to be this kind of fatty, unctuous, kind of smoky, um, maybe a little crispy after you kind of redo it and keep going. That's keep going. yeah. So what are you, what are you going to pair with this? You know, most- it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. You got a lot of savory flavors. You got a little bit of heat um, potentially, and um, you also have a cuisine. I think that is uh, demanding something that's you know thoughtful. So tell me, hit me with what you got. All right. So for me, I probably would go with just like a dry white wine or a beer. But this was Jim's suggestion. Okay. So here it goes: gin martini mm-hmm. with a uh, you know some choice of like a, a good kind of botanical you know, essence gin. So something like Hendrix maybe. Okay. So this is going to be two and a half ounces of uh, a good botanical gin, an ounce of lime juice, right? an ounce of Lille Blanc, right? That's right. And then what you're going to do, and this is kind of the party piece for this, before you mix up the, um, the boozy ingredients, you're going to muddle some quartered cucumbers and a handful, I guess, to taste of, uh, of cilantro leaves and stems. So you're going to be using those for the sandwich anyway, right? So reserve the stems, reserve some of the leaves and muddle that up. Once you've got that kind of dialed in, just go ahead and add the other ingredients to the shaker with some ice if you like that. Shake that up, double strain into a chilled cocktail glass and garnish with a twisted cucumber peel. And I'm told, I'm going to be trying this this weekend. I went and got the ingredients. I'm told that this pours out with a really neat kind of light emerald hue too. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I love, first of all, cucumber is a great underrated cocktail ingredient. And um, I love the introduction of the cilantro, which is part of the dish as well. So I think that's smart planning. And this sounds like it's going to be really complimentary. I can't wait to see the pictures. I think you're going to have a great meal. I think Jim dialed this one in perfectly. And I love that we veered off and did something a little bit different on the gin side. Uh, It reminds me, I think I snapped you a picture earlier this week it kind of inspired me. There's a, a mezcal that's made with nine botanicals uh, in similar fashion to gin uh, from Pierre de Almas. And so I might grab that bottle and start playing with some different things that I haven't thought of recently. So this has inspired me. That's going to be fantastic, Matt. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying it. My wife likes a good gin martini and I haven't made one of those for her in a long time. So we'll we'll have to knock that out and see how that goes. I think it's going to be great because like you, I have kind of an affinity lately for using like cucumber bitters. And I've just been, you know, like riffing on with different things using the, uh, the cucumber bitters and to actually kind of break down some actual cucumber and, and trying the cucumber peel. It should be cool. So thanks, Jim. Thank you, Jim. You know, it, it's a reminder to folks, 
grab some fresh ingredients. I promise you it doesn't take that much more effort or time and the uh, impact is exponential. Absolutely. Well, dude, we are pushing 50 minutes, which is kind of like uh, what we what we like to do. We've had our, I well, I did my kind of rant on Vermont and we talked about some Seikos. We have cocktail matchmakers. Is there anything else you want to discuss before we wrap it up? Take that last sip. No, I think we, we have a busy evening in front of us, both of us. Uh, I'm excited for you to get out and enjoy some time with the family. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and wrap up this cocktail that I made and, and post something for Chase and and maybe if people you know like it, they might try it. One last note, I think uh, you and I have mentioned this, and I wanted to say thanks to Jim, but when people take an idea that we have or submit an idea or say, hey, we're going to try that cocktail too, that is like the ultimate compliment to me as somebody who thinks about you know putting together a menu like you are with your with the banh mi or, or a cocktail. So we love that. That's awesome. That's like the best, uh, most highest compliment is to say we're going to make that too or, or to submit an idea. So thanks for that. Keep them coming. Yeah, that's a, uh, a very good, I think, note to end on. And with that, I need to get to, back to my henchman duties, get back on deck on depth charge. Time for you to clock in. That's right. All right, brother. Take care. Have a Cheers. good one. Cheers. Salute. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to rate us on your podcast platform of choice. It really does help. You can find us on Instagram at Spirit of Time Podcast and contact us at Spirit of Time Podcast at gmail.com. As always, please drink responsibly. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.